Good morning, grown-ups. As I said earlier, I'll say it again. It's my pleasure to greet you all in the name and the spirit of Jesus and to open the Lord's word together. We are continuing our Conversations with Jesus series. we got a few more weeks of Conversations with Jesus before we turn to the book of Isaiah for Advent. This morning, our text comes from Matthew 15. So if you find it, you can shout out which page it's on in your pew Bibles. We'll start reading with verse 29. 982. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Jesus told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and they, in turn, to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, beside the women and the children. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On Friday, August 6, 1801, wagons began rolling in to Cane Ridge. Cane Ridge, Kentucky was on the frontier of America, the edge of civilization. But over the course of a few days, an incredible crowd assembled there. People came for a weekend religious experience that would end with communion. Kind of like a men's retreat, I guess. But what they experienced was, in fact, the start of revival. Friday night and Saturday morning passed uneventfully, but Sunday afternoon, men, women, even children were arrested by the Spirit some crying out, some falling down, some seeming to jerk back and forth with massive force with their heads like this. Through the day and the night, preachers preached, lay people exhorted one another, believers were, according to one present, praying, agonizing, fainting, 
falling down in distress for sinners or in raptures of joy, some singing, some shouting, some clapping their hands, hugging and even kissing, laughing, others talking to the distressed, to one another or to the opposers of the work, and all this at once. By the third day, food was running out, but people still lingered there in the wilderness. By the time the crowd dispersed, some 20,000 had been in attendance, making it a gathering that was larger than any town west of the Mississippi and the second great awakening in American religious history had begun. Matthew tells the story of an outdoor revival 2,000 years earlier. The crowd this time is the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and those who brought them. You can imagine the everyday constituency of an emergency room and an assisted living facility. These endured the arduous journey up the mountainside, which was certainly not handicap accessible, but they endured the journey to be where Jesus was, and Jesus healed them. He made the blind see, the lame walk, the mute speak, the crippled well, and the people were amazed and praised God. Were they slain in the spirit? Did they too get the shakes? We don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us, but what we do know is that as in every good revival, the spiritual fervor outlasted the provisions that people brought. So Jesus called a meeting of the de facto camp leaders, the disciples. The people have a long journey ahead of them, he said, and I don't want to send them home hungry. After caring for the chronically ill, Jesus attends to the everyday needs of the crowd. He doesn't send them home with happy hearts and hungry bellies. He's not the kind of preacher who prescribes a few days of fasting after such spiritual fervor. Though Jesus himself fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, he doesn't ask the crowd to go another day without bread. Jesus wants the people fed. But to the disciples, Jesus' concern is downright ridiculous. Uh, where are we going to find enough bread around here? Not only is it uh, impossible, it's maybe even a little bit inconsiderate of him to ask them. Suppose some well-meaning man at the men's retreat this morning walks up to the retreat organizers as folks are packing their cars and says, oh, this has just been a really great weekend. I appreciate all the planning that's gone into it. And I know that lunch today was not included, but I hate for people to go home hungry. So could you just wrestle up sandwiches for 150 hungry men? What do you imagine the response would be? Even with grocery stores and modern conveniences at hand, the request would seem, well, at best, a little out of touch. Can God really set a table in the wilderness? Has God brought us here to starve? The disciples' reluctance recalls the grumbling of Israel in the passage we just read. God freed Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and led them across the Red Sea. But when they got to the desert, the people forgot. 
The disciples suffer from the same problem. Jesus has already fed 5,000, walked on water, and he just made the blind see. But the disciples can't imagine how he could now come up with just a little bit of bread. But Jesus is undeterred. He takes the handful of food the disciples offer. He gives thanks, he gives thanks breaks the bread, hands it to his disciples, and the crowds eat and are satisfied. How? How could everyone eat and be satisfied when they started with such a measly little meal? Could the disciples look down and see their baskets refilling? Or did they worry that each time they reached their hand in the basket and scraped the bottom that this would be their last handful? How exactly did these seven loaves and two fish feed the crowd? Do you know? Wonder. Imagine. I know that I do every time I'm mediating a disagreement in my household over the last piece of cinnamon bread. How did Jesus accomplish that multiplication? And can he help me do it now? But when I ask how, the scripture points to who? We get remarkably few details about the method by which Jesus multiplies the loaves. We're free to wonder, but we just don't get the answer. But what we do get is a clear picture of who is acting. Without putting it in so many words, Matthew wants us to see God in the middle of this crowd on the mountainside. Jesus does what God had promised through the prophet Isaiah. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute shout for joy. And like the God who brought Israel out of Egypt, Jesus sets a table in the wilderness, providing bread from heaven for God's people to eat. In this text, Jesus is more than a model for human compassion. Jesus is the manifestation of the compassion of God. He's more than a model for human compassion. He is God's compassion in the flesh. I don't know about you, but I'll admit that I can wake up, get dressed, and go on about my day without giving a thought to the Lord. But scripture shows us a God who is always, ever present to us. The God who created the world and called it good walked in the cool of the garden. Though God is distinct from what God created, God is never distant from the world that he made. Even when creation is beset by sin and decay. God created a world that requires his ongoing involvement and care. We call that care providence. God did not make something to function apart from him, some machine that could run on its own. The Lord did not plug it in and put creation on a set it and forget it setting. But instead, God has written his own sustaining presence into the recipe for life. Listen to how St. Augustine puts it in his homily on this event. It was a great miracle that was wrought, 
he writes, dearly beloved, for 5,000 men to be filled with loaves and fishes and the remnants of the fragments to fill 12 baskets, a great miracle, but we shall not wonder much at what was done if we give heed to him that did it. We shall not wonder much at what was done if we give heed to him that did it. He multiplied five loaves in the hands of them that broke them, who also multiplies seeds that grow in the earth, so that a few grains are sown and whole barns are filled. But because God does this every year, no one marvels. Not the inconsiderableness of what is done, but its constancy takes away admiration of it. One and the same God multiplies the seeds and multiplies the loaves. The same God whose constancy upholds the world in every ordinary moment is at work in this extraordinary one. Now, this miracle cannot be replicated in the kitchen or in the lab. But that does not mean that we should think of it primarily as a suspension of or a violation of the laws of nature. Rather, this inimitable moment dramatically unveils what is always true, that creation is open to God. What is unusual here is not that God is messing around with nature and meddling in some otherwise closed system. What is unusual is this, that Christ brings the superabundance of creation's end right here into the present. The loaves and fishes point to the promise that is written in blood That God will not only preserve, but redeem all that he has created. On a gray Sunday morning during COVID, we were listening to the service at home. I was feeling pretty discouraged, getting ready to go visit some backyard groups. The kids were digging in the dirt outside. Someone tugged at my shirt and got my attention, showing me a flower bulb they had unearthed from the ground. I got down to examine it, and I realized that there were dozens more daffodil bulbs underfoot. I turned around and found irises. A few days earlier, we had pulled down an old shed, and in the ground where it had once stood, we discovered hundreds, I mean hundreds, of bulbs. We found buckets and shovels. We used our fingers. We all set to work digging, and we still could not dig up and transplant every flower that we found. Though some of us feel like we are waiting on the mountainside for a miracle, we are each recipients of God's care and witness to God's abundance in our own particular ways. And what we have in our story this morning is not an exception, but an invitation. Christians must let their encounter with Jesus Christ become evident in their relationship with the world around them. 
That's what Pope Francis writes in his encyclical on creation. Let their encounter with Jesus Christ become evident in their relationship with the world around them. As Adam and Eve were commanded to till and keep the earth, Jesus enlists his disciples to distribute the fruits of the earth. This surely means to feed the hungry, but also to steward the land and the water sources by which God feeds the world. The church has a place in this conversation. It's not just the rightful concern of secular environmentalists, but of all those who worship the creator and the author of new creation, who claim a God who is redeemed by flesh and blood. The church is implicated by our past actions and our present need, but we also have a unique posture from which we consider the world and its future, don't we? We know a God who fed a multitude with a few loaves and fish. So we can be confident that our human insufficiencies present no obstacle to God. We can witness that our human need and the need of this world is simply not too great. This world is not an overcooked meal that God has abandoned. The Lord has compassion for what he has created. He would not see us slain in the spirit and sent us home hungry. God himself has taught us to pray for our daily bread, and he gives before we even ask. That should give us and others hope in the midst of despair. Let's pray together. Be present to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Meet this crowd and feed us, we pray. Feed us on your word. Meet our physical needs. We dare to ask for healing in every way and eyes to see your constancy in the ordinary. We pray this in the name of our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.